0: Jordan's there. Phil Shirley, a handball penalty kick. It's a penalty kick to Scotland. Watch it. Up goes the hand and the punch. If ever there was one. Don Mason to take this penalty. And I think he's aware of the significance of it. Mason to take it. And he's done it. Scottish supporters are going mad. That is the score line. You have never heard noise like this in all your life. Four minutes left. There's McCarry in there. There's Jordan and it's Justin. He really almost took die Davis on. Again, Johnson causing difficulties with this long throw. The overhead kick. And Davis was just there. Willie Johnston. In it goes to Douglas. Lou McCary supporting. There's an overlap. Martin Bucken. Good running by Buchan. Read it well. There's Kenny Douglas in there. Over the go. That does it! No wonder he turns to the supporters. Three minutes left. 2-0 for Scotland. What you got again? Job. Kenny Dalglish goes right in behind a Martin Bucking Cross. Puts it well away. The hero of Liverpool has done it for Scotland.
1: shake them up when we win the World Cup, but Scotland are the greatest football team. I've heard the the best there's ever been, some people think that Pelley is the greatest that they've seen. The Scotland! 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 They're England's famous too, but I always an army love, the boys in Scotland's blue. Shake them up when we win the World Cup, cause Scotland are the greatest football team. E- 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 when it comes to managers, we surely got the champ. When pay and Norman Up when we win the World Cup, because Scotland are the greatest football team. Gee, gee. When we reach the Argentine, we're really going to show the world a brand of football that they could never know. We're representing Britain and we've got to do or die for England any day, because they did. Yes
2: Scotland are the great football team When notches everyone, this is a football special And today we are concentrating on Argentina 78 Not just Scotland's performances but the tournament itself and the surroundings So with that in mind, I need the big guns. On my left, I have the one and only Dapper Doogie Watt. Eva. On my right, I have, yes, he's here. Don't worry, his fan base always gets excited at this point. It's the real Dukey Edinburgh, Mr Paul O'Neill. <laughs> Good evening, boys. I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people contacting me, Paul, to make sure you're going to be on. <laughs> um, and then I got hundreds and hundreds of people make sure and Hosey's known so. Um, so Argentina 78, so here we of course have the World Cup in 1978 now it's famous for quite a lot of things we shall delve into some of them but let's give you a, a little bit of the background, there was a coup in Argentina on the 24th of March 1976 where General Vadea took over after Juan Perón had died You know, and it was uh, his wife wanted to take over, of course, but uh, she was disposed. And this sort of created a kind of military junta in Argentina, a right wing military junta. Um, That wasn't very popular with its people, um, and its people, in fact, didn't even really want the World Cup to be in Argentina at that point. Argentina, apart from the fact that. Of course they thought that this would be maybe akin to the Olympics in nineteen thirty-six with Hitler or the Olympic or the World Cup of nineteen thirty four with Mussolini in a propaganda event. Argentina didn't have that great a side in the eyes of the people. Uh, the South American champions were of course Peru, which we'll come on to soon, the team that Alan McLeod didn't think worthy of scouting. Um and so within this kind of context in the couple of years that um before the world cup started um for when uh, video had taken over 5618 people had disappeared in argentina um and Videa <coughs> as the world cup had its opening ceremony and its ticker tape and all that kind of thing he sort of used this as a vindication of his leadership, that everything was fine, but much like um, excuse me, uh, the rumble in the jungle four years late, earlier in Zaire, where the chief of Zaire had basically put all the homeless and criminals under the stadium um, to hide them for the press, that was felt that what Badea was doing in Argentina was ridding himself of what he didn't want the press to see. And, of course, um, Scotland qualified, the only team for the British Isles to qualify. And we were in a group that was a really bit quite strange because there was only four teams in it, three teams in it, big beg your pardon. And uh, one of them was Czech, Slovakia, who were the European champions. And the other one was, of course, Wales, the perennial underachievers. Um, Scotland actually managed to uh, gub, uh, sorry, get gubbed off of Czechoslovakia in the first game. And do you know who scored the first goal against Scotland that night?
3: I, I think it was uh, Peninka, wasn't
2: it? Correct. And you see, us with penalty kick in what, Paul? The European Championship final? Yes, against. Penalty uh, <laughs> West Germany? Correct. <laughs> um, so there was a pretty defeatist outlook after that, and people thought, considering you only had four games to play, you know, that's Scotland do it. first game mm-hmm. beat, wasn't he really, um, altered, even though they beat Wales 1-0, with an Evans own goal, people thought the performance was terrible, uh, especially then after Wales gubbed the Czechs, 3-0 at fucking, uh, Cardiff Farms Park, um, people were saying, you know, how on earth can we get beat off of Czechoslovakia, He'd, the fact they were European champions, meant nothing to the press, and the people of Scotland, you know, as far as they were concerned, Scotland was top-notch, you know what I mean, and could beat anybody, but we did beat the Czechs, uh, 3-1 at Hampden, Joe Jordan scored first, eight. of Hartford, and then of course King Kennedy Wish, but of course the main game, as was previewed uh, in the trailer for this uh, podcast, was Wales 0, Scotland 2 now Wales had decided, for reasons best known to themselves, to move this game to Anfield. Um. I think it was definitely a money grab in terms of the, the amount of people could go, but they didn't realise that all that money would be coming for Scotland fans, who basically, you know, three quarters of the goon were Scotland fans. And it was basically a situation where Scotland had needed a win to qualify. If they had drawn or lost the game, Wales could win or go through, or the Czech Republic could win or go through in the following game when they played each other. So with 14 minutes, 15 minutes to go, it was a very pulsating tie, end-to-end, end, all over the place, and nobody really knew what was going to happen. And all intents and purposes, people were convinced it was going to end up an all draw. And then, of course, Scotland got a throw-in. Walk him in, Joe Jordan went up with Davy Jones, and the referee gave a penalty. Now, to see Wales were unhappy, this, this is an understatement. Um, I mean, I think they were probably as unhappy as well when Charlotte Church went solo. But it was clearly a handball by Joe Jordan. He put his right hand up, fisted it, and that was that. And, of course, Don Masson stood up 12 minutes to go and put Scotland 1-0 up. Now, of course, being Scotland, people are saying, all right, we're winning 1-1 now, but, you know, where's the glorious failure going to come? But it did not come. And as we heard in the commentary at the start... Martin Bucken sprinted in the wing, crossed in for Kenny Duglies, who scored one of the best heaters of boy anybody's ever seen. And Archie McPherson hit the roof. I mean, he literally could not contain himself. Um, and quite rightly so, because in the words of the great commentator, it was Argentina, here we come, you know. Added to the fact that um, nobody else had qualified from um, this country as... Andy Cameron eloquently put it, where he and his lyrics say, "England can't do it because he didn't qualify." We were off to Argentina, and um, the first game was against Peru in Cordoba, and Alan McLeod famously didn't scout Peru, but didn't think there'd be a problem. So with that in mind, I'll hand you over to my colleague Doogie Watt. Aye,
4: uh... This, I have to say, this World Cup, it was quite fun looking into it. Cause it's one of the ones that, obviously, I was about, what, minus eight years old. So, um, certainly no nostalgic feeling at all. Um, I've only ever really seen or remembered stuff of maybe the final. Some of the scores of the Archie Gemo, which we'll get onto that later. I don't want to put any spoilers in. like. Um, but, yeah, uh, this game... Versus Peru was played in Cordoba. Um, yeah, so I, ma- I didn't manage to get a sort of decent lengthy highlights of it, like, but I got the goals, the gist of it, and uh, we took took like looking at sort of like some uh, panel shows before, like they had panel stuff saying they didn't they didn't fancy Peru at all. They sort of levelled them with other teams they thought they were shite. Yeah, they're playing in the tournament already like Mexico um, so right enough they took the lead uh, I think after about 15 minutes through Joe Jordan before mentioned and it was actually if you see the goal it's a cracking move mm-hmm. uh, down the left comes in I like think Rio plays in uh, through uh, Hart, uh, Hartford and hits a decent shot across mm-hmm. the keeper parries out and Jordan's there to put it in for the famous David Coleman one nil. 1-0 um, and then, just in the first half, uh, Peru equalize uh, through Boy Conte. And uh, looking at the goal, you actually see there's like a wee coming together. And it's the referee, there's definitely a whistle that goes off. Hey, eh?
2: and mm-hmm. like it's almost as if. And then the common just says, "No, the referee's played
4: on." And then it's, uh, they go on and score and then there's like little there's half of Scotland teams maybe sort of saying something but the other half are just like oh fuck it
5: mm-hmm.
4: that's what always happens to I say but maybe if that was a different, a bigger side they might have made more of it uh, then in the second half uh, Scotland's pushing on and getting themselves a penalty Clear a penalty on Rio, um, gets brought down and then the boy Masson this is a guy i have honestly before looking up I'd no heard of this guy uh, which is probably puts the uh, my lack of knowledge for that sort of time of the uh, when it took place. Not the best penalty. Good height keeper saves it to the right, puts it wide, and then Peru as the game's going on, scoring a couple of absolute cracking goals through the boy trying to Tafilo Cabayas. I think is the dubbed as looked a bit more into him as the peli of Peru
2: correct yes
4: <laughs> so this guy was no mug uh, and the first the first goal if you see it especially if you see it from behind the goal you really appreciate how good a strike it was because mm-hmm. it actually starts outside the post and just rattles past rough he's barely moved Um, he I sort agree. of almost like runs to save it I sort of a trait of goalkeeping that you see a lot of the lot in this tournament, which maybe I'll come on later on, and then they get a free kick uh, where, uh, Kennedy brings ball, brings the boy down uh stonewall red card mm-hmm. these days, but I don't think you've got a fucking words uh, <laughs> in this game, and then i always remember this free kick from the goals videos or whatever and it's quite iconic the way he hits it with the outside of his foot, comes from the other side as if
2: a left-footed player was going to take it. and puts it around the wall and then rough tries to get there
4: the best he can. It's an absolute beauty.
2: And we got beat 3-1. Uh, the interesting thing, Kubiis, was that people were aware of Kubiis through previous tournaments and he's displacing them, but I think the general perception in 1978 he was past it and that he wouldn't be a threat at all and you know, Alan Ruff famously asked Ali McLeod if there was anybody in the Peru team that could take a free kick and he says, nah, I never noticed anybody.
4: Well, even in the commentary, Coleman says, oh, Peru are actually renowned for their set pieces. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he thought they were shy as well. People often, even in our uh, previewing of the show, some people were claiming that Alan McLeod got too hard a time. But even if he didn't allow for anything else that goes on to happen... When Joe Steen went to to scout Brazil, New Zealand and Russia for eighty two, it was the first time a Scotland manager had ever done that before a tournament. <laughs> Which is, the thing is as
3: well, he got he got offered a all expenses paid trip for a TV company as well. Right, that's but right. He, took it, he, it down. That's he was right. utterly convinced we'd just steamroll teams. Aye. And as as you said earlier as well, like Peru were the, the Copa America champions. That's it's seemed right. like the
2: complete ditties. Well, if we talk about, before we come on to the Iran game, you know, we Scotland had um, had this victory parade at Hamden, um to see the team off. Uh, such was the excitement. McLeod done nothing to quell that excitement. He whipped it up and uh, he basically, the only thing he changed was, first he said, we're going there to win the World Cup. Then he said, we're going to get a medal. Then he said, when asked what he was going to do after the World Cup, he replied, retain it. And then he said, it was the best squad that I'd ever left the British Isles for a tournament, and the thing about that was, that's that that at that point that could easily have been the case, you know. Unfortunately, Scotland had lost Danny McGrain through injury, who was probably as good as any fullback in the world at the time. But this this team and the squad was laced with good players, but it just you know for whatever reason you know, and people will say Alaba Cloud is the reason, it just never clicked at all, and um, probably until the last game. And, and none more so, Paul, uh, in the Iran game, which I think people, obviously, none of us, I certainly can't remember it, Used guys weren't alive, most people say to me it's the worst they'd ever seen Scotland play up until that point. Aye, it was it was an
3: absolute horror show from Scotland's point of view, oh. but I think as well, like it, it was a, a game we should have been winning, but given mm. the background as well, probably even more so. Because going into that game, like Iran was on the brink of revolution themselves. It was a very disjointed uh, country at that point. Um, and the team were greatly affected by that because even though they were away in a bubble training, they're human beings. They were all worried about their family and their friends back home.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Camp was also pretty split between ter- in terms of pro and anti-regime. And the players never knew who they could trust as the, the incumbent regime were well-known for planting spies in groups and stuff. Yeah. So they were all at odds with each other nobody trusted anybody and they actually went into the tournament losing their best player because he'd been openly critical of the government <laughs> he was a member of a Marxist left wing group that was banned aye Parviz Glichani he, he played like three Asian Cups for them uh, played two Olympic games for them and he was by all accounts their, their star player and he actually ended up in jail just before the, the tournament is it, this
2: He's is hit, this, take, this, but, this is when the Ayatollahs have really first taken a grip eh?
3: yes aye um. And, and he was critically the, the sitting government um, mm-hmm. and they were trying to show how strong they still were. So, because of who he was, he got out of jail on his reputation, but he was forced into a, like a live TV apology and he admitted breaking rules and that and he thought it would be enough to get him back in the squad. But they made him do that, embarrassed him, and then left him in the squad anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and in addition to missing it for political reasons, two of their best forwards also <laughs> missed out through injury. I... Adil Kani and Masloumi like, Masloumi had like 19, cap- 19 goals and 40 caps so not only were the massive underdogs going into the tournament mm-hmm. they were, they were, their heat was completely gone with what was going on back home mm-hmm. and they'd lost their entire first choice forward line <laughs> so it, sh- it shows quite how much we fucked it up to be honest
2: Considering as well yeah. Paul I think the Scotland goal that
3: day was an own goal It was aye um, kind of, but Esk- Eskandarian, and it was nothing it was like a simple ball aye. through the middle the, um the mm. Ace of Hartford I think aye. it was and the goalie just made an set and ran into Jordan. He should have, should have cleared it. And when it broke to Escandarian, I don't know what he was doing. Like he just panicked and I know kicked did. it straight the way he was facing.
2: <laughs> he had plenty of time to get rid of the ball. It was farcical. And the thing about Asa Hartford, Paul, that was known to everybody at the time, of people this generation might not know, is that Asa Hartford was famous eh, for having a hole in his heart. Ah, right. And and I didn't and, actually uh, know that. Was Not only did it threaten his football career, but it threatened his life. Um, but he went on and... Some would argue he still went on to play football. Others would say he just the about in a jersey for a few years, you know. But um, (laughs) he was not popular among... Because he was an Anglo. And it has to be said at the time, before you come on to the rest of the game, that Anglos were not that popular in Scotland. Mm -hmm. You know, people who went... Kenny Douglas was probably the only one that got away with it. But anybody else who went down to England to play was seen as a traitor. Simple as that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um... And that kind of um, sort of way it flipped round when Soonas we took over Rangers and he started pulling out Scottish guys for the squad, and the chant that used to go round all the time was Graham Soonas you're a traitor, you're a traitor. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was Kenny. Kind of, um, they didn't get a thing me, but of course, so we're we're one 0 up in the game. Surely this is the the comeback for Peru. <laughs> aye, um, so aye. So why so we took the lead and it
3: was like a bit of, comical goal. And I think everybody thought Scotland would click and then go on to win the game quite comfortably. But it just never happened. The Iranians were quite determined, put up a good fight. Scotland couldn't to string two passes together. Mm-hmm. And then on there were a the boy's name's Danny Danny Farr sent sent rough for a I don't know I don't know what was going on. It was a near post it should never have lost it to it in a million years. Went right through him at Pretty much every bit of footage I've seen for Ruffey this uh, tournament is just him looking helpless as the balls <laughs> flying past him. But he may actually make a save.
2: Well, I, I, I don't think he wanted to upset his perm. <laughs> ah, it, was, it was a glorious perm in, in his defence. Uh, there, f- there was a few um, perms going go to go that time.
3: Um, and after that goal, like, Daniel scored a second <laughs> a couple of minutes later. Um, I think the good boy's name was Gassampour, he was clean through and he, he kind of dithered. He had time to sort of flick it round flick it over rough or go round them and in the end they really, never really done any
5: mm-hmm.
3: and and Scotland probably created a couple of chances near the end but did they deserve to win it and I think that the overwhelming feeling for the Iranians was that they were completely disrespected before that game mm-hmm. they, were, they, they talked about like a, a journalist class, Scottish journalist classed them as a second class nation mm-hmm. and they they mm-hmm. quite rightly thought like we were the, they'd won the Asian Cup three times in a row as well mm-hmm. Like it might not be in the highest standard but they were still the best team for that region and they'd actually just a year before played Argentina as part of Real Madrid's uh, anniversary mm-hmm. celebrations and they drew with them at the Bernabeu. So they weren't they, they weren't they a good team, but they weren't they the mugs that I think everybody thought they were going to be. And that again, that was McLeod. <laughs> McLeod never had a clue either, them because he made five changes for the Peru game. Completely just panicked and, and didn't really know his best team. And after the game, like, there was an interview with Kenny Burns, mm-hmm. and asked about what they'd done tactically for their RAN game. And he just says, no, we didn't work on tactics. Mm. <laughs> that was it. We didn't did work on tactics.
2: No, I mean, it's... And you saw, after that game, the reaction of the, the guys that were in Argentina supporting Scotland. I mean, um, they were vitriolic, weren't they? Aye, well, that's another thing Burn
3: said, that he, he, there were Scotland fans for some reason in the tunnel after the game. Mm-hmm. And he says he couldn't look them in the eyes. Like, they were actually embarrassed by, like, these guys had came so far, spent so much money. But he just, he was pretty scared that he... Like, times after the, the tournament, pretty scathingly, like McLeod saying, his team talk was effectively, I want you to play for, how you play for your club. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He just picked an 11 and sent them out. And it's bizarre because like McLeod became like a bit of a joke figure now, but he'd been an alright manager before that tournament. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was a complete, he'd done pretty well at Aberdeen, he'd uh, done well
2: there. He won the uh, League Cup with Aberdeen against Celtic, which was a big shock at the time. Right. Um, and he was you know, he was a very affable guy, obviously, you know what I mean, and he was you know, but it was um aye, he's, it was he's kind of but the thing about that for me, about Alan McLeod is, um, and maybe you guys know, remember, is that me Scottish football fans were like that at the time you know, we were dismissive of teams like Iran and all that, you know what I mean and fucking, I mean it happened to be New Zealand, 3-0 up and cruising in 82 oh Christ, we're going to win about 10 here, next thing it's 3-2 um, and it's back to the wall and um, Costa Rica, we never won. Right. <laughs> the but they Western. always, Scotland always have this thing where when we're getting beat, we're the worst team that's ever fucking played the football in their life. When we start winning games, like, oh, fucking hell, we taught the world to play this game. What the hell's you know? know? There's no in between. And right. McLeod just went for that one. And I think, it, you know, as I said before, rightfully so, in that, you know, the the quality players they had in that squad, the fact that they're Englands and all that, they're no in the tournament. There aren't a lot of great teams in the tournament, let's face it, you know. Um so there was every chance they'd be like, right, we'll get out of the group, surely, by winning the first two games. And then, you know, as we see, it's not much of a group stage or a qualifying stage after it. But um, aye, that's my memory of that game, Paul, was just the the vitriol for the fans. Mm. You know, who have probably you know, there's guys, you've seen the documentaries, there's guys selling their businesses and fucking you name it to go over there. There was a couple of guys who got to went and flew over to somewhere thinking it was South America, and it ended up being Trinidad and Tobago, and we're still five thousand miles from over. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? But that's kind of McLeod sold the nation on the fact that we're going to win this thing. You know, do you, what I mean? do you know what, it's even more bizarre that he whipped them up into such a frenzy when.
3: Apparently he didn't even, in his heart of hearts, he knew that he wasn't ready for the Scotland job. But he he kind of thought he'll never get offered it again. So for somebody that's probably in that position, he doesn't think he actually belongs there. Aye. He'd done pretty well in convincing himself otherwise.
2: I know. It's true. And I think that is one of his things. His bravado was masking his insecurity. There's no doubt about it. But of course, that then led to the last game. And the, the situation was that Scotland needed to win by three clear goals to qualify, right? So in the ITV studio, um, it was Mick Mills and Paddy Crerand. And Mick Mills, I mean, you guys will know, remember him, played for Ipswich 2 and he was a horrible little Englander. Made no fucking secret that he hated Scotland and all that. A kind of Will Carlin type, you know, I'm above you fucking jocks and all that kind of thing. And he said to Paddy Crerand, he says, oh, what are you worried about Paddy. He says, fucking, you know, you've only got to beat Holland by three goals, eh? <laughs> And Paddy Crerand replied, beat them by three goals. We could even beat you. Because we'd beat Losit fucking Hamden the, uh, a month before the tournament. But that was the task. Uh, and McLeod incredibly done something that I did not think he'd done in his career before where he picked his best players. Um, and uh, those players, you know, just were with nothing to lose and all the rest of it. Now, of course, Holland themselves were a fantastic, the Netherlands, I should say. They'd go to the final of the World Cup in 1974 under the stewardship and the technique and the talent of the great Johan Cruyff, but of course the great Johan Cruyff was not in Argentina. Now, the lot of stories and speculation has been around about this forever. Uh, Some say that he objected to the junta in Argentina and did not go, others say that he did not like the sponsorship deal the Netherlands squad go and said, fuck you, I'm not gone, but as we all found out, that's complete bollocks. What actually happened was that his family, a couple of months before the tournament, had been kidnapped um, in Barcelona in their own house, held hostage at gunpoint and all that kind of thing, and he was basically told by the security services to not go anywhere after that, and obviously they were shaken up by what had happened. Um, before we talk about this game, guys, is it, do you think it's fair to say that if Cruyff had played, the Netherlands might have won the tournament?
3: It uh, definitely would have helped their cause, They've done really well without them, so having a player of that ability, I uh, would have probably give them a, a, wee, a wee edge they never had, definitely.
2: I mean, I was actually fortunate to see them, the man play twice against Celtic, it was obviously, I mean, in 1982 he was obviously at the end of his uh, career, and uh, he was marked uh, by a guy called Graham Sinclair, who never really had the same career as Joan Cruyff. <laughs> um, but I ma- managed to mark him out the game, uh, and the story was after that, we won in Amsterdam. It wasn't the, it was an old stadium before the thing you seen, and it was uh, Charlie got one of the goals of the, the Millennium uh, over there, and George McCluskey scored in the last minute, and Charlie tells the story that he basically um went and looking for Cruyff to get the number fourteen jersey, you know, the swap, and he walked past the treatment room and. Cruyff was on it, and spot, Cruyff spotted him, tell him to come in, and I, oh, you know, broken English, great, fantastic goal, blah, 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 well done, good luck, all that kind of thing, and swapped the jersey, and um, Charlie walked in, ready to explode, and say I got the number 14 jersey, and there was Graham Sinclair wearing it, and Cruyff gave him one of the other jerseys, eh? it wasn't the number 14, so okay. he just kind of went, alright, I need to put up his duke, and fucking that's it, but, an incredible talent, I think, before we get into the, you know the the Messi Ronaldo debate, Cruyff is the only guy that could ch- challenge Pele and Maradona in my opinion.
3: I, I'd, I've I've never paid as much attention to Cruyff purely because it's always been focused on Maradona and Pele's rivalry. I know how like I know it was fantastic and like mm. genuinely world class and whatnot, but um, and obviously the style of football and everything that he played, but. I I, I wouldn't really know where to rank him in terms
2: of the Maradona he when you know Ajax won three European Cups in a row in the early 70s and then Holland were in the 1974 final so it was it was all about him really you know what I mean but an immense player an immense player but sadly not at this tournament so Scotland go into this game Dougie and actually start playing well
4: Aye obviously it's a massive task for them to get As you say Even the Dutch Without uh, Cruyff Still a formidable uh, Outfit I noticed you've One of your Ex-managers Started that game As well Vim Jansen Yes Uh, Right Another perm lover
2: Oh yes Of course But
4: yeah uh, Started the game Well Uh, but um, As we get on uh, We've got it was a penalty by the boy, left footed boy, Renson Brinks, that he corrects his name. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, we got a Dalglish, Was Leach. Was it 1 1 at half time was he scored after?
2: Ah, he did. So, I mean, Paul Kendall. it was incredible for Scotland because Scotland that, scored a good goal to equalise. <laughs> Great knockdown for Joe Jordan, I think it was. And Doug scores an absolute peach. Aye, Aye it was uh, amazing. And then, of course, we got a penalty. Archie Gamel stepped you know, Masson was obviously the penalty taker, but having missed one, Archie Gamel stepped up and scored. Um, And then, I think, to bring the bothies in here, can you just describe to the nation what happened after that? Archie Gamel uh, channeled his inner Johan Cruyff I think, and turned, <laughs> turned on one of the best goals of tournament football ever. It was incredible. I mean, considering the fact Doogie need to win by three clear goals here to go 3-1 up with a goal like that, can you even begin to imagine what that must have been like for the Hoosies and yes. that all over Scotland?
4: Yeah, I just, I can't, as you say, to get actually come back and go 2-1 up and then be like, fucking hell, we're at in this game and then to see a goal of that quality doesn't quite, because I've I've obviously it's probably the most played Scotland goal ever mm-hmm. and rightly mm-hmm. so. but I just can't imagine how good it would feel uh, to think fucking hell, we actually we could actually do this, you know what I mean? We're two goals clear we've just scored the best goal uh, in the history of the game.
2: And we're and we're all uh, over them. You know, we're all over them. <laughs> uh but unfortunately, Paul, that lasts for a good two minutes till Johnny Rep scores for about seventy five yards. <laughs> Aye, it was a
3: fucker rep to be fair, but it's typical Scotland. You get you get that massive <laughs> high and we, all you've got to do is keep it tight for five minutes and then let the adrenaline get the better of you. <laughs> because he right away, and then that just kills it, I mean, doesn't it? Like,
4: quite similar to the sort of Griffiths double against uh, England, mm. that sort of small that time scale. Maybe not the same magnitude of game, but maybe. But I mean, I was at that game, and that was like, fuck, this is fucking amazing. We're actually going to do this, and then bang, mm. fucking, we've got the chance aye. to clear the ball, and then it just comes back in. And then you think, all right, back to reality.
2: And it's, uh, I mean, it's, a, and you think about, you know the quality of Scotland's got right. Obviously, Kendall Gleesh has just went to Liverpool that season, won the European Cup in his first season, scored the one and goal in the final. After game, old Kenny Burns and John Robertson are about to win two European Cups in a row. Um, Graham Sunnis is obviously there as well. You know they're name, but I always kind of think that for every sort of um, Kendall Gleesh, we had a Alan Ruff. You know, or a, you know that kind of thing. Um, and it was it was fair to say that you know after the tournament ended for Scotland, you know the 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 nice for for Ali McLeod, um, to say the least. I mean, you know there was there was talk stuff I'd read. There was talky hotels already been booked for the final in Argentina and Buenos Aires. There was talky um, sort of town halls all over Scotland being fucking to help to get ready so we'll bring the trophy round and. You know, all this kind of madness like, you know. And even um Umbro had a paint, had painted, had had printed fifty thousand shots for Scotland nineteen seventy eight World Cup winners on to sell when they came back. So I dunno. I believe actually they were they were basically pulped to the next day and day. And they probably never had the benefit of hindsight to think, see now people would have bought them. You know what I mean? Just for the crack. <laughs> aye, definitely, aye. <laughs> You know, for a bit better, because especially, you know, anything appears on eBay now. You know that, Paul. You're a regular purchaser on eBay for sort of discreet items, aren't you? <laughs> aye, you've got to know where to order them, though. Aye. aye so, so that was that. And it was interesting as well that um, one of the things that really was noticeable talk, looking at things before the tournament was most Scotland fans gone to Argentina thought they were going to ninety degree heat and mm. sunny and all the rest of it, no realising that that's their winter time basically doing there. Um, and that quite that kind of flummoxed quite a few of them, like when they were doing there, like I don't know that. Uh, and there was a guy interviewed. He says, "I fucking he goes, I ain't, uh, I'm supposed to be in fucking Argentina. I've got coming fucking Carnoustie here, you know." And <laughs> <laughs> um, but. You know, fair play to them. They reckon it was around nine thousand Scotland fans went to Argentina, which I think is an incredible achievement. Considering if it, if it took nine thousand, now it'd be an achievement.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, massive, know, right.
2: Far less nineteen seventy
3: eight. considering how much more difficult it was to travel, and how much it cost, and this other side of the world. That's uh, traum- some of them.
4: Some of them it took about two weeks for them to actually get
2: there. Uh, uh. So that so it begs a question, and I'm gonna ask you guys it now, if the fuck if it was now and it was Scotland and it was in Argentina and we had all this hype, what would you do and what would you give up to go?
3: I I'd, I'd try and gee everything I could to be there, to be honest, Luke. Um d I, I don't know what a day and would you give up job? Would you give up your quit? job? Aye. If my work says I couldn't go, aye. I think I would.
2: If I, as long as I had the money and that behind me, definitely. What about yourself, Dougie? Would you have a shave? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah,
4: that's a that's a once in a lifetime thing. I, I mean, they, my my job they might tell me to. now nah, you're not getting it off. I'll probably get off of the job when I get back.
2: <laughs> I mean, the, I'll give you an exact, a slight example, right? When we played in Seville, the next year, the you think I was in Gothenburg, right? We got to the quarters that year, got knocked to by Villarreal. But I was saying to folk, I said, there's going to be more folk in Gothenburg than there was in Seville. Oh, no chance. No fucking Gothenburg's not the same. I said, I'm telling you now, for every person who went to Seville, there's two or three who didn't go, and are fed up hearing about it. Fed (laughs) up, oh, I still had a great time, and all this, and fucking the like. I'm never going to miss that again. And we'd go. Right now, in the current climate with COVID, I think one of the things that's happened with people is, we've all realised life's very delicate, and life can be very short, and sometimes, and I really do include myself in this, I've maybe not done stuff and thought, ah, I can't be bothered or whatever. And now I feel like, nah, you've got to really do that kind of thing. And it comes to, Paul, I'll give you an example. We went the the night before, uh, Scotland played at Wembley and I spoke to you and I was like, we should just go.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I know. It's it's true because
3: if we go to like a, a World Cup like Argentina now, it's a complete once in a, a genuinely people say that once in a lifetime, but it is. You don't like. It's been twenty years between tournaments for us now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Like it's even like if we go to Qatar, like it really doesn't appeal to me no. that much no. as a place or a destination. No. But it'd still be a part of me wanting to go on the chance that we didn't get there again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In terms of the actually making the event, and you're right in current times, and you, you realize it. You've got to take, take chances when you get them, I think, and I, I think that would definitely fall under that category.
2: Yeah, and also I think that um, one of the things that was stirring me about Wembley was I said to you, I didn't realise how many Scotland fans were going to go without tickets. I really didn't. I underestimated that, and I was like, fucking hell, this is actually looking really good. Now, it has to be said that everybody came back to COVID, but, uh, you know, it was. There was that kind of... You didn't get many opportunities like this, and even... You know, I shared a video with you guys um, earlier on Alex Alec Ferguson talking about Jokestein. And, you know, you're thinking about, here's Alec Ferguson inviting Jokestein to a European Cup Winners' Cup final with Aberdeen against Real Madrid, who are managed by Di Stefano. You know, and the Scottish guys won. <laughs> you know, and, and you think, fucking hell. And I'll bet... Because they were that good. There are Aberdeen fans who were like, oh, fuck, I've not got to Sweden. I'll go to, I'll go to the next one next year, Ken. Um, and even when I was growing up with Celtic, you would have this thing where you would say, you know, the first round of Europe would get drawn and it would be Celtic versus whoever. And so you got to nah, I'm, I'm, sa- I'm saving up for the next round, like Ken. You were that confident of being there. That just dissipated completely by the 90s, you know what I mean, where Scottish teams predominantly were getting knocked out in the first round and what have you. So, I i done that with
3: hearts a few years back and we I was it like, we'll go to the next round thinking we'd pump these bunch of Maltese waiters we'd
2: draw and we'd go beat off for <laughs>
4: <Burk-a-gayara>,
2: Cricket <the mighty. laughs> It was it- um, and I I mean that's that's the thing, eh? And now it's there are no guarantees inning in football. I suppose that's why football is such a brilliant game. You know, if it wasn't a Doogie be the first one to tell you everybody that come in with a football game and be a winner. If it was mm. that simple But there's so many variables You know what I mean <coughs> Excuse me But aye So The tournament progresses on Now It's a weird setup In the second round And there's all these Kind of different groups And all that And then you're going to get Four semi-finalists Or sorry Two finalists and two third and fourth place Playoff game Um. Now there's a Before I come on To the main game Paul There was something That you'd picked out For the tournament Regarding strips Aye uh, France points Hungary <coughs>
3: in a match mm-hmm. and um, it was for TV at the time they wanted both teams to be in like one in a light strip and one in a dark strip to make it more discernible and I think they'd initially told France to wear white and Hungary to wear red and then FIFA changed it at the last minute and sent like a memo And but the, the France uh, kit, kit man looked at the memo forgot about it ripped it up and <laughs> fucked off to the, the game with the white kit in the back <laughs> So they get to the game and one of the French players runs out warming up with his on and he looks at a hungry player and he's like, are you wearing white? And they're like, aye. So he ran in and told the kit man and the kit man's like, <laughs> shat himself. He's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Because their kit was like 400 kilometres away back at their base. Aye. They had It's not like they had multiple kit, uh, strips with them or even even warm-up tops or anything. So they had to send somebody out to a local club to just like, to, to beg for 11 strips. So the France wore green and white uh, green and white stripes it looked kind of like Real Betis and uh, it was that's a completely weird look for France uh, and the club were called the local junior team called uh, atletico Kimberley <laughs> so that, that's, that's why they wore green and white in that because I'd seen that footage before and I never clicked I always wondered why they, they were wearing green and white
2: It's bizarre uh, ok moving swiftly on and now I be going out with the referee
0: between three and the referee.
1: We just wants to get on with it. Gamble. Good play by Gamble,
0: and again. It's a three-one. A brilliant individual goal by this hard little professional has put Scotland
2: in dreamland. We'll talk about a few things. Um things stand out but I, I can tell younger listeners will be thinking oh fucking hell 1978 they didn't know what they were doing and all that kind of thing people forget in Mexico 1986 this is 100% true England played their group games at an amateur team's ground <laughs> if you just look at the footage and there's like Nate Edison's or anything you know and that's, that's the equivalent of Scotland hosting the World Cup and playing games at fucking Spartans and Meadowbank. <laughs> you know what I mean um, but um, aye so before we talk about the, the, the different styles and t- techniques of football and all that kind of stuff the standout game for these group stages was of course Argentina against Peru now the situation was Argentina had to win by four clear goals to qualify in the group stage including Brazil and people were thinking Brazil were going through because A. Argentina hadn't been that great and B. Peru were clearly South American champions as I said and so on and so on and so on Argentina going to win 6-0. Um, <laughs> but the story doesn't end there. Soon as the game was finished, there was uh, accusations of corruption. Um, and when all was said and done, there was everything for General video I was like, right, we need these goals, we get these goals, and all that kind of stuff. It was said that Peru uh, actually received from Argentina uh, a large grain shipment that came after the tournament, and they also had Peruvian bank accounts unfrozen in Argentina, which was apparently where the Peruvian establishment kept all their money, and the Argentinian junta said, no, we'll have that, and then they said, well, you might get it back, (laughs) you know, um, and that's kind of what happened, but it was clearly an utter disgrace, because Argentina hadn't been performing well, Apart from one player, I mean, they hadn't taken Maradona to this tournament, even though the media were saying, no, 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 the guy's got to go, you know. A uh, certain Mario Kempes was, was the, the top dog. Um, but, Doogie, you wanted to pick up on a couple of things you've seen regarding changing the styles and so on? Um, which parts? Like the. Yeah, I'm just copying what you said at the start, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, I'll
4: go. Well, I mentioned goalkeeping uh-huh. uh, first, and I have to say, certainly the art of the goalkeeping has come a long way mm-hmm. since this tournament, because right. the amount of goal, I managed master watch a wee sort of highlights package narrated by Gabriel Clark, which wasn't the best draw, but uh, it was uh, nice enough to listen to, but I certainly, I mean, like as I say, I'm talking about Alan Ruff, just uh, they just seem to forget to die. It's almost like a lot of the games. It was like you're watching a game. I like if you know the the arcade game, sensible soccer.
5: Mm.
4: Just, I just even even some of the goals as well. It was like I thought I said it was probably the funniest goal I've ever 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 seen. Apart from that one that Mackey scored against Komarnik off Alan Combs' assist, but um, it was uh, Paolo Rossi actually. Um, which you talked about in your 82 yeah. special. Uh, Italy-France, one of the gr- earlier group games, and the, bo- uh, the commentator described
2: it as like pinball. It was more like fucking bagatelle. It was just like, <laughs> I don't know how, you don't know where the, the ball's going to end up, and somehow just hits
4: off the guy and goes, you have to watch it, it goes in about 40 different directions before, within the six-yard box and just goes in. <laughs> uh, I think it hit the woodwork as well, at some point as well, it's brilliant. It's like Benny Hill stuff.
2: I mean, um, do you think I just, any, uh, see the, again, just before you go into goalkeeping do you think anything had anything to do day with the new football the tango and the curve well, I, mean, I, I
4: thought you might know which ball it was but um, I don't know if that was I think, uh, causing them problems I'm talking about general just awareness and fucking uh, I don't know just really scary stuff um, but it, it makes for good viewing I have to say mm. um, but I mean I also other Things appreciated was uh, I've always got I'm always got a keen eye for how good how good the nets look
2: All in right.
4: tournaments or games. Eh, and I love the the they looked very pristine and it's just the way the sort of triangle shape and obviously you don't see that anymore. It must be a FIFA regulation you have to have the sort of box nets. Eh, but ah. nah, just the way it's sort of like some of the goals where they, they hit it pure, just springs out the back of the net and the ball actually ends up on the penalty spot.
3: See, interesting talking about the goals because I, I read a thing for one of the groundsmen, and if you notice that it, every one of the goals have a sort of small black band at the bottom and painted on oh the posts, and that was the groundsmen had got together, and it was their tribute to the disappeared so that for the, the junta had been. But the junta never, the junta guy asked. He said, "What's up with the bottom of the, the posts?" And the groundsman just said, "It's just tradition," and they knew nothing about football. They were just trying to use it as a, a PR stunt. So they just uh, accepted that. So in every game, there was this open sort of protest against uh, the regime, which I thought was really interesting. Because I'd, I'd noticed that years ago, and I'd never had a clue what it was actually about. But
2: I thought that was an interesting one. Well, that, I mean, that was the whole kind of the, the aspect of the um, sort of uh, ticker tape thing, was yeah. to show, we're all happy and everything's great and all that kind of thing. And it was... I I really I really like the kind of gestures that you mentioned, Paul. You know because it's just a tiny wee thing, but it means so much.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and it's kind of keeping one over. Um, and it was, and it was no doubt that, um, as you see, this this tournament was played under duress for a lot of people, unfortunately. Like you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and you should also say that um, one of the things that comes up about Argentina, and I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, is but it's a lackey, players of color that play for them. Um yeah. and a lot of this is today with the fact that the there never really was a big immigration from Africa to Argentina. They were they went to other places like Paraguay and so on. Um, it was much more the Spanish thing, and um, so because it is. But then, having said that, people like your Maradonas and that would say, "Well, I'm of color," you know. Yeah. So so it's it's that kind of thing. So. We get to this uh, bizarre group, second group stage, and then of course that produces four teams: uh, Netherlands, Italy, Brazil, and Argentina. And it's the winners of the two groups that just go straight into the final. We have a third place playoff with Brazil against Italy. Third place playoffs are not no normally ones that they remember, but um, it produced one of the goals of the millennium through Nelinho of Brazil, who hits an outside of effect for thirty yards right into the top corner. Um and was just one of the goals that uh as Dougie had mentioned earlier on your David Coleman's still kinda went, One 0 rather than Oh my god or anything like that, you know. And so the I uh, always, all... always loved that that Coleman. Me
4: my brother, that's a big favourite, like just uh, uh as we probably talked, talked about Jock Brown before, and like just uh, the obvious, it's an
2: interesting the, one, I think. I mean Coleman, aye. and then Coleman, I don't know if you guys will remember the era, but he was a, he used to present uh, Questioning Sport as well. Aye, aye, remember that. Um, and but there was obviously Scotland had after Mumford, who was always, what a shot, what a pass, what a chance, what a goal. Um, with the tweet blazers. See, so, you, you talk about commentators you mentioned McPherson
3: going back to the Wales qualifier. Mm-hmm. He, he went nuts at I was watching footage of that and, uh, the, the one with the penalty with Jordan, he, he's like, it's a clear handball. Aye. Just watch for it, wait for it, aye. and it shows the replay. And he goes, look, handball. And like, it showed like three replays. It's, and it's not one point. Did he think it's, it's almost? As, it's almost
2: hand. as if he's basically seen it to the referee. Like, didn't even <laughs> think about no gain that kind of thing. I um, <laughs> and Joe Brown, as we say, was famous, you know, for his red card. When somebody got a red card, it's the ultimate sanction. You <laughs> know, and yeah, I've never picked up on that. I can't, I'm
4: quite amazed that's slipped me by. But well, it's. it's, yeah.
2: it's one of my okay. It drove one of my mates Mental An older guy Who used to say to me No the ultimate sanction Is dying <laughs> <laughs> Being red carded In a football match Is no Thing me And then commentators I always like Derek Ray You know mm. He does stuff And that kind of thing um, But I think Doogie That the basically Definitely all that Was when Paul Appeared on Scotsport And <laughs> The whole Where was this? Was think you better tell the story To the listeners Paul
4: <laughs> was this Was This This wasn't
3: when it was the, That fucking Say it <laughs> Oh no <laughs> I went on um, I was at university at that time On my pallet It
4: looked
3: like it off. was in, Like a sports centre cafe Aye It was at It was at, um, ah. at the studios But um, my, my mate said uh, I got offered free tickets To go on it I was like I've not gone on that It's terrible <laughs> It was only It was only about two weeks After Graham Spears Had played the, the piano So I was like I didn't fancy that but they they offered uh, something like 25 quid each and free travel And I thought, that's a few pints in Glasgow So the students I went through And we went on and we were like Sitting on the fake terraces they had Did You know what They had the, had the terrace and It was fucking mortifying Because we went to the pub after And it came on and I was like, oh my god <laughs> and, that, and that Julian Sinclair was sworn about off camera Like he was some kind of uh, A-list celebrity Did he know Kai oh. boss you
2: for an autograph or a selfie, pole? I asked him, no, Jim Dela Hunt did ask him for a photo and he says, No. Actually, the, the, there's two things about it. First of all, he'd never tell he never told anybody what was going on, so I was kind of just lying in bed. I remember it was late Monday night, Paul, was it? I think. Ah, Monday it was night. Monday night, and I'm sitting watching, I'm like, That looks like Paul sitting there in the fucking audience again. And then right enough, next thing, boom. And the guy he was with has got the biggest forehead in Europe, right, at least. I am like, Oh my God, it is. And the second thing is, it reminds me, a guy who told me a story, Stephen Wright, who's currently in LA now, the bastard, Uh, he said he was at Celtic Park once with his mate, right, and Jim Delahunt was walking across the concourse or whatever, ten before the game, and his mate's like, see, see, look, there's Jim Delahunt, he's like, hi, so? (laughs) Wait! oh, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jim, 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 and he's fucking running after him, Jim, Jim, and fucking Delahunt's like, hi, what is it, mate? And he's sort of, like, reaching for the pen, he goes... Jim Delacunt. <laughs> and it's so bad, it's good, you know what I mean? It's terrible, but it's like, oh, my God. Um, but, aye, I honestly, that was one of the low points of my life. I think they took Prisoner Cell Block each off the telly for that, you know what I mean? That was, <laughs> was such
4: a terrible, terrible production. It took, oh. it took like, the length of the show, because they did the adverts in between pretty much every game, which is totally un- unnecessary, and, like... Oh, it was, it was fucking so bad. And that's when the blank Jock Brown actually came. But I was commentating for Satana at that time. That's
3: right, yeah. And it wasn't the
4: same. I don't know if it was the, the Mark Hately factor. I mean, I, I really do... Oh, God. Uh, but I do have to sympathise with anyone. who have to share a confined space with that human. But, oh. uh, but Paul,
2: see, when you, were, when you were on it, was that, were they still kicking the balls when they come out? Oh, I can't remember. Too, but I
3: think they were, right because it was early doors. So they kicked the balls into the net. <laughs> <laughs> what was that what was the what was the Sarah back then. she was Irish wasn't she she was Irish but I don't even know where she came from. she'd never been on anything in Scotland for she? She came... on the radio or something aye
2: no she'd been on telly in Dublin <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of her full name but she was definitely tell to shorten her name because it sounded a wee bit too papish for the masses you know what I mean and that was 100% but that was what, nine, what year was that probably 2001 one, two, 2002 something like that
4: I right,
2: something like that too uh, I was later than that. But it must have been like, like, like oh, 06, something
3: like that.
4: Was it? 04, 05. Because BBC Jesus. still had it before that.
3: Aye. She was, actually, she was actually really sound. She was the only one that actually made the effort to go and speak to folk when the cameras were
2: off and stuff. Well, did you um, make no. a move on her? Not? <laughs> no, no, nothing. nothing, nothing. No, well, you've got to ask. I mean, Christ Almighty. Um. Anyway, what, what was it we're here for? Anyway, I forgot what we're talking about. Oh, aye. Uh, fuck
4: fuck the World Cup. Let's talk
2: about the <laughs> <So> <laughs> And that could be a football special, actually. Yeah, so definitely. obviously, um, the Brazil win the third place. They have the other third team. Blah blah blah. Um, just as a wee matter of interest, who won the third place playoff for the World Cup in seventy four and eighty two? Uh. Fuck no, um, no, I don't think it was him. <laughs> I think it was in both semis. Eh, uh... I'm gonna to have to hurry. It's a podcast. Oh, sorry, Poland oh, 74 uh, and
3: 82. 82, Why, 82, I I 82.
2: Yeah. So the final is with the, the Dutch and Argentina. Anybody want to take this up? Your thought, opinion, commentary?
3: Um. I've seen the highlights, yeah, that's all I've, all I've seen unfortunately right. But um, obviously they took the lead about just for half-time wasn't that, like, Kempest scored And I think it looked like they were going to hold on, didn't it? It was quite late on the Dutch, wise, it was only like, what, eight minutes, to ten minutes to go, something like that That's right, yeah And then the, the equalised mm-hmm. It went to extra time and um, basically Argentina ran away with it, didn't they? Like, it now,
2: cool. I'll tell you it's, something I like about it The, the, the second-yard goal goal and Dugio like this the ticker tapes everywhere, the nets are loose, and mm. the ball's just nestled under the net. And it just, you know, the, the, the winning goal got the short sleeves, uh, there's long sleeves, and the fucking the top over the shorts, the mm. socks rolled, doing the added ass boots, etc., etc., etc. That just looks like football. Could yeah, I-, I,
4: just, I, I like how there's been like zero attempt to clear the pitch. Right. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, Paul, Paul, I think, we used to do the ticker tape thing at Tyne Castle sometimes, Aye. and, like, I'm sure that's delayed kick-off by, like, ten minutes just because of that, so nowadays they would just stop, the, we need to sort this out first, and then it just starts, what's the fucking problem, just fucking play on, Brilliant.
3: that's the, the way it should be. Some, some of the photos, because I was looking at photos to put up on the, the Twitter account during the week, mm. some of the photos are iconic, I and mean, the Kempis one with the crowd behind them, and right. as you say, the ticker tape just falling—it's glorious. It's like it's like the best era of football. It looks like the best era of football. Interview. Even like
4: the the replays as well—they're all just from one angle behind mm-hmm. the goal, and then they've got like the that's the word replay or the R, the flashing R, and all that. Right. It's not even like in that the same speed. It's just mm-hmm. that sort of jittery, but still, uh, it's very, uh, as you say, nostalgic. But that World Cup had its own, its own flavour completely because I about
3: 82 how that had like, mm. it's almost like you could see the heat and stuff as well you know what I mean like it just felt good technical and everything and the Argentina one was a, a wee bit greyer at times because it was our winter but it was classic 70s like strips and hair and facial hair it was, it was a, a cracking yeah. tournament. I think maybe would you think maybe
4: 94 was the first one where it maybe became a bit uh, not samey but a bit kind of commercial I don't know
2: Aye. I mean I think that, Italy sixty I was sixteen in Italy nineteen ninety and it was my first City World Cup as an adult and I really enjoyed it. But when I look back now, most of the games were awful. You know, real I mean, you know, fucking England, Egypt, Ireland, you know, get it for Scotland because they dreadful games. But it was still iconic for Ness and Dorma and for fucking Scalacci and all these things. By the time you go to ninety four, you know, it's too hot. You know, um, Ireland's the only team that's qualified that you're really that interested in, and yeah, it's just you know Diana Ross comes on and misses for three yards and all this fucking fish and um, the the only interesting thing I really know about that was when that was played, you know there was a chance England could qualify if you remember it went right to the last game San Marino, mm-hmm. so if they had been going to be playing they were basically going to be based in the East Coast because they tried to bring the European teams so there's no hope, basically. Italy, Ireland, or that sort of thing. Of course, then they put Ireland to Florida, and that wasn't very good. So the New York police actually did riot training for the potential England fans coming to New York. And this was a concept that was just alien to the New York police, because it was all these riot shields and, you know, big hoses and all that, and they were like, what the fuck are we doing this for? well, these cunts are hooligans and got a reputation. Well, we'll shoot them then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that was basically... Bear in mind about 90% of the cops in fucking New York are all Irish as well, you know what I mean? They screwed done with them last weekend. Oh, fuck <laughs> aye. Um, aye. But, uh, aye. So, Argentina win. And then, of course, the aftermath of which is they've got a young boy, Diego Armando Maradona, coming through, Paul, who mm. actually is basically really introduced to the world stage at Hampden Park in I 79. I mean. um, which, you know, people, I wasn't at the game or anything like that, but people who say they were there were like, never seen anything like this in our lives. A young boy, terrorising fucking Scotland, you know what I mean? And we've seen how Maradona, would it be fair to say, guys, that Maradona was the player of the 80s? I think absolutely, I. Aye.
3: When he made that debut for Argentina, it was, it was what he was. You before the World Cup, wasn't it? He was seventeen. Seventeen. And then left, left him out the squad, which everybody was raging about. But in the eighties, he was incredible, wasn't he? Like, nobody could hold a hold a candle to him. Yeah, much
2: like you and podcasting, Paul. If <laughs> can touch me, you That's well. <laughs> that never used to always be the case. Uh, <laughs> so, anything else anybody wanted to take out of the tournament or that? I know it's a shorter special, lads, but I had about nine pints today, so. <laughs> and Doogie's been in the bookie already. Uh, Any yes. other comments or anything like that?
3: Um, just going back a wee bit to that Peru that Argentina game and it was all the, the mm. stuff about whether it was fixed or not. Oh. And normally you like to think it's all just conspiracy theories, but that was 100% fixed. Ah. <laughs> the Peruvian goalie was Argentinian. Mm-hmm. Like he was born in Argentina um, and before the game Video and Henry Kissinger went into the Peru dressing room and says remember guys we're all brothers here yep. we're all Latin brothers let's let's stick together and then after the game they went in and uh, thanked them for their, mm-hmm. their service because I, I seen an interview with a Peruvian boy going oh no it was innocent they just came in and reminded us that we were all Latin family I was like that's not innocent if the, the head of the junta
2: is coming in Henry Kissinger before the I mean, they... I mean it's, it's one of the things as well Where I think Certainly in the 80s People were much more likely to believe It was a fix because it was in South America You know and that sort of thing Doesn't happen in Britain And of course it's never happened where a team's needed six goals In 2003 to win the league in the last game Of the season against them <laughs> and, and they've got them um, But there is definitely that there was always that, and a lot of the programmes, see, this is the thing, a lot of the articles around that time, right, was, oh, fucking dodgy South Americans, what do you expecting that, right? And that was because a lot of the programmes that were on the telly at that point were basically, you know, about spies and fucking the war and all that. I mean, it was basically every country was a foreigner was a dodgy country, and all that kind of thing, you know? And what's interesting, of course, is that England, within four years, were doing Falklands, stealing all the oil. <laughs> which was what the Falklands War was all about in La- La- East Las Islas Malvinas it was about the oil down there I mean, what, why else would, would Britain want to keep a fucking island you know, so far away so yep, it was a shorter special than normal but uh, it was basically a pre-season warm up for the lads you see, we need to get them fighting fit for next week I should actually say we're, we're, we do have a live show next week it's on Sunday and I'm saying that for Doogie Watts benefit who thought up until yesterday it was on fucking Saturday <laughs> um, and Paul's butt cheeks clenched when he seen it. Thinking, <laughs> I mean, I must admit, when he said it, Paul's well, I looked at it and I thought, wait a minute, have I got this completely wrong? And it was only when I looked at the thing you'd posted, you know, with a booking of the place and what have you. I was like, no, I'm right. Is that Doogie's a... F-? He's with fucking nut. But then you told just me... He's just like, keeping
4: it in your toes, lads. Nah. That's all <laughs> well, not. basically right.
2: then, Paul sent me a message saying, yeah, you can't do, he's a big drug addict. Eh? I said, oh, right, well, that's oh, that's, that's a, that kind of thing, like, you know. Fucking addict's a bit strong, like. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, let's just hope you didn't he- end up the same way as the boy above you did, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> for those who didn't see, he's got a Joy Division album up. So thank yous for your contribution that was a wee taster to get us back we're back this season uh, and next week uh, we welcome and we're supposed to be finished on this Jose uh, the man the myth the legend the man who would uh, have mere medals than Steve Redgrave if arguing as an Olympic sport <laughs> um, having said that he's still got uh, a week to pull out so you never know he, he, he might pull a Doogie Watt and think it's Saturday um, or that yeah, curb your enthusiasm, Paul, with they turn up at the party the day a day later. Awful, <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> you know what I mean. But until then, uh, we'll leave you. We can only leave you one one song, and it's this.
5: to can believe. and hold